Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. And anybody here ever been focused on something that is not the, or should not be the primary focus of something, and then just completely lost the main idea of everything? And you're looking back, you're like, huh, I should have had my eyes open uh, for something else, okay? Because I didn't appreciate the main thing. Uh, for example, uh, we, we went to, uh, we got to go to uh, uh, Pigeon Forge uh, uh, last month, month before last, and, and we were able to go and, and drive through the mountains and everything, and, and we got there, and when we got there in, in part of the mountains, it was, it was real dark, you couldn't see anything, and uh, kids were sleeping, so that was great, because um, you want them to sleep in the car, uh, especially when you got five, all right? And so, but then uh, the next part of the day, we, we kept on driving some more, and, and all the way there, you know, we'd been watching movies. I had Netflix on for them and stuff like that because you want them quiet. And then in, in, in addition to that, I had headphones on and, uh, because they weren't quiet. And <laughs> but anyway, and, and because I needed something loud in my ear to tell me, uh, take this exit, take that exit, stay straight for 15 miles, turn around, you missed it, uh, something like that. that. That wasn't my wife, you know. And, uh, but she's a great navigator, but Google does it better. Uh, it's nicer. But, <laughs> but when we got into the area of the mountains, it was daytime. We told the kids, hey, look around you and, uh, and, and look at this. And they're just sitting there watching, watching the, the, the tablet. And so we finally turned it off and we're like, hey, you're going to look around you. You're going to appreciate something that we don't have in Texas a whole lot of, okay, mountains and, uh, and, and stuff like that. And so they looked around, they really appreciated it, they, they liked it, they enjoyed it. But a lot of times we go through life looking at certain things and, and, uh, that aren't the main thing. And, and today we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about a man who lost focus in his life. And, uh, and we're going to look at the consequences of the loss of focus, the dissatisfaction that it led to, and what happened when he finally regained focus. And what the difference was in his life. Okay? Today I want to take us, uh, uh, I want to... Uh, <laughs> take us to uh, a man named Abram, okay? Abram, Abraham, uh, I'll, I'll reference him in both ways. Uh, the first part will be Abram because it's Abram before God changes his name. And then the last part of the sermon, we'll talk, to him, talk about him uh, as Abraham because it's after God changes his name. Uh, but look, uh, just as a review uh, of what we've been studying about Abram in the, in the teen class is this, you know, um, Abram at the age of 75 was made a promise by the Lord uh, and the promise was this, Abram, I'm going to make of you and your descendants a great nation. You're going to have innumerable uh, descendants, uh, so many that, that they can't be counted. And, and then later on, he made him a, uh, another promise. He said, I'm going to give you not just a great nation. He goes, I'm going to give you land to call a country to establish your nation and establish your country. And, and, and because of this nation, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And all that, that God asked for, uh, for Abram to do was... All right, pick up your stuff and follow me. All right, and I imagine everyone said, all right, God, where are we going? He goes, I'm not going to tell you. You just go where I tell you as we go. I'm not going to tell you the destination yet. Just follow me. And everyone didn't make excuses, didn't, didn't, didn't ask why. Uh, he just packed up his stuff and he went, okay? And, uh, and so God led Abram to different places. Abram showed trust in the Lord most of the time and followed and did what was right. 
There were times when Abram did not consider the Lord uh, or his plans, but took matters into his own hands. And, and we're going to look at one of those, one of those points right now as, as an introduction. And, uh, and so Abram had received this great promise, right, at 75. And 10 years go by, and Abram is following God, and most of the time keeping, uh, uh, keeping uh, faithful to the Lord. And every time that he doesn't, he does something dumb, you know. Like, he, he, he travels into Egypt, and, uh, and he knows his wife, even though, you know, she's in her 60s, she's very beautiful. And he's like, hey, uh, so Sarah, you tell the Pharaoh, we're going to tell everybody that you're my sister, all right, and, uh, and not my wife so that they don't kill me to try to take you from me. That was a dumb thing that Abram does. It provides consequences for, uh, for everybody around him, for the, uh, for the Egyptians as well. And it's something that, that Abram does because he takes his focus off the Lord. If God had promised to make him a great nation and Abram didn't have a son yet, then obviously God wasn't going to kill him until after he had a son and, uh, and, and descendants. Uh, but Abram was too concerned there with his fears. Well, as time goes by, he gets back right with the Lord, and he follows the Lord again. And over the course of these 10 years, uh, uh, Abram starts following the Lord again. But at the age of about 85 or 86, Sarah and Abram look at each other, and they go, you know what? God's not acting fast enough for us. God's not doing stuff on our timeline. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, what, what I need you to do, what Sarah says, she goes, what, what, what I think we should do is, is you take my handmaid, Hagar. Uh, uh, she's an Egyptian handmaid, and, and, and she's young, and she can have kids, and why don't you take her as a second wife and have a child with her? And, and then God will make great nations out of, out of the son that, that y'all produce. And Abraham, uh, uh, having his eyes off of God, and having his eyes off of God's uh, uh, promise, he says, hey, that's a good idea, and does that. So Hagar gets pregnant, and, uh, and they have a child. The child's name is, is, is Ishmael. And uh, so, so a couple weeks ago in the teens, we talked a little bit about actions and consequences. We talked about, you know, uh, because of uh, uh, Abraham taking his eyes off the Lord and off of God's plan and taking things into his own hands, uh, that you have the Ishmael, uh, Ishmael as a son, uh, and then he has uh, 12 sons, and they become the, uh, the, the, the fathers, the ancestors of the Arabian nations. And God says, hey, Ishmael is going to be, uh, live in an adversary uh, against his brothers, always. And Ishmael does. Ishmael and Isaac don't get along. Hagar and Sarah don't get along. They kick him out. And, uh, and Ishmael's descendants don't ever get along with the Israelites. As far back as uh, uh, King David's time, the Ishmaelites are trying to annihilate the Israelites, okay? the sons of Isaac, who is eventually the son of the promise uh, that God makes Abraham. And, uh, but, but see, the reason, and, and I talked to the teens about actions and consequences, but I really went and focused on why Abraham did that. And the reason that Abraham did that, we find in chapter 15 of Genesis. Okay, and if you'll turn there with me very quickly, Genesis chapter 15, read verse 1. This is before the incident with Hagar. It is right before the incident with Hagar, all right? God tells Abraham uh, this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And so, so Abram is talking with God. God talks with Abram and he says, Abram, don't fear. And see, Abram had a fear. And when's this going to happen? It's been 10 years since I've been following God. When, when is this son going to come? When are these descendants going to come? And so our, God already knew his fears, and he says, hey, don't fear. And then God tries to redirect his focus because God knows where Abram's focus was. 
Um, he says, Abram, I am thy exceeding great reward. Not anybody else. Me. Not anything else. I'm your exceeding great reward. And, uh, and see, Abram had been experiencing this reward without even realizing it. He was looking forward to other rewards. He was looking forward to descendants. He was looking forward to walking around land that would someday be called his children's and his descendants' land as their country. But the main reward, he was already experiencing it, and he never had a clue. Because his focus was on something secondary. See, Isaac and his descendants, the country, the land where, he, where they were going to make the nation of Israel, was never meant to be Abram's primary reward. Abram's primary reward was always his relationship with God. And God tells him, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. But Abram had taken his, his eyes off of that and started focusing on the other things. Abram didn't realize that he had a relationship with God that few people at that time had. He talked with God. God would visit with him. Talk to him in visions. Talk to him as you talk with your friend. They would converse. Abram negotiates with God, trying to save uh, his nephew and the city where his nephew is at later on. He, he, he has an interaction with God that few people at that time had had with the Lord. And Abram was just taking it for granted because his focus was on something else. And how do we know this? Because verse 2 tells us this. And it shows us Abram's reaction. God says, look, I'm your exceeding great reward. And I want you to notice the very first part of verse 2. It says, and Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? God just told him, I am the greatest reward you could ever have. And Abram looks at God or talks to God and he goes, okay, God, that's great. But when am I going to finally get what I'm going to get? If I'd have been God... I said, like, fine, Abram, I'm not enough for you. You go away, and I'll go find somebody who I'm enough for. And see, the problem with Abraham and with Abram at this point was that God was not enough for him. He could not be satisfied by God because his focus was not on God. And look, I want to I point that to us sometimes. We do the same thing. Our eyes aren't on God. A lot of times our eyes are on godly things, but they're not on God. A lot of times our eyes are on the blessings that God will give us if we do certain things. We go, okay, well, I'm going to tithe because God blesses that. I'm going to come to church because God will bless that. I'm going to do what's right because God will bless that. Instead of our focus being on God and those things falling into place behind it. Now, let me tell you something. If you come to church because that's something you have to do as a Christian and hopefully God will bless that, you will never be satisfied with whatever blessing God gives you. If you tithe and God blesses you for tithing, which He will because He promises He will, when you get the blessings, you won't be satisfied with it. Because when Abraham went and said, hey, I'm going to go get my blessing this other way with Hagar, and he got Ishmael, he wasn't satisfied. He didn't realize the consequences that he was getting into, that he would start a family feud that would last until the end of the earth, all because his focus on what he could get out of God instead of God himself. And Abram says, God, what, what are you going to give me? I'm childless. Is, is my inheritance, is all of that going to go to Eleazar, my servant? And God wasn't enough for Abram. And when God isn't enough, we need to understand that nothing will satisfy. 
But today I want to contrast that statement with this one. It's the title of the sermon. When God is enough, everything else can be sacrificed. When God is enough, everything else in our lives can be sacrificed. Like I said earlier, if I would have been God after Abram made it, made it known that God wasn't enough for him, uh, I would have found somebody else. All right? uh, but Sunday mornings uh, for the past few weeks, our pastor's been talking about limitless grace and God's limitless grace in our lives. And God's limitless grace extended to Abram uh, again. All right? and, uh, and thankfully, Abram didn't keep that attitude of God's just not enough for me that he had in chapters 15 and 16 uh, of Genesis. God in His grace, who is a relentless pursuer of man, pursued after Abram, remade His covenant with him for the third time, and, and promises again for the third time, Abram, I'm going to keep this covenant, I'm going to keep this promise, you don't have to do a thing about it, just wait, like the song that Miss Jessica sang, just be still and wait for my time. And, uh, uh, and, and so uh, He goes after him. And, and we fast forward to chapter 21, and in chapter 21... Isaac is finally born. Abram's 100 years old. Sarah's around 90. And Isaac is born in a miraculous way. The son of the promise. Abraham's inheritance. You know, Abraham's legacy is finally born. Uh, the son that will start a nation. And, and from that nation, all the nations of the world will be blessed. There's Isaac. And from chapter 21 to chapter 22, where's, where we're going to be today... About 15 years or so pass. And as we read a passage that is probably very familiar with most of you, you're going to see Isaac has grown into a young man. The scholars think that it's probably between the ages of 15 and 20 here. Uh, we'll see that, that, that in this passage, uh, he's not a young boy because uh, he takes a full load of wood up the side of a mountain on his back. Okay? So he's, he's at least a teenager, maybe in his early 20s. And God gets to this point and he tests Abram. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. At this point, God's already changed his name to Abraham. He said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I want you to notice something that God asked Abraham to do. You know, first notice the wording. It says, and it came to pass, in the very first verse, it says, it came to pass that God did tempt Abraham. That, that phrase, did tempt, is a word in the Hebrew that can be translated as did test. He wasn't tempting him to do something bad. It was a test. He was proving Abraham. And God tests Abraham in this way. He tells him to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him and, and, and not do a symbolic sacrifice, the full-on sacrifice. This wasn't, okay, uh, I, I dedicate my son to you, Lord. No, no. God said, take your son, take a three-day journey, go up a mountain that I'm going to show you where, and, and, and you're going to build an altar. You're going to lay wood on that altar. You're going to put your son on the altar. You're going to slit his throat in the way that sacrifices were made. And then, after he's dead, you're going to burn him. Completely. And you're going to stay there and make sure that he's burned completely. Because that's the way the ritual burnt offerings were offered. God didn't just say, Abraham, go kill your son. He said, go and ritualistically kill your son and offer him to me. 
And what God was really telling Abraham was this, that thing that you want most of all, the reward that you've looked forward to from the time that you were 75 that I said, you're going to have a kid. You waited 25 years, and you finally had that son of the promise. That reward that you've watched grow up before your eyes into a, into a strong young man. The hope and everything that your hope resides on in him, go take it and kill it. And absolutely destroy it. Had Abram had the same attitude that he had in chapter 15, he would have said one of two things. He would have said, God, uh, you're crazy and you're out of your mind. Or he would have said, uh, uh, okay, God, but what are you going to give me in return? But that's not what Abram did. Not, that's not what Abraham did. Let's look at verses 3 through 10, and we'll see Abraham's reaction. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted, lifted up his eyes and saw, a place, uh, saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. They came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I want you to notice something about Abraham's obedience. We're not going to focus a whole lot, but there are a few points that I want to point out. Abraham's obedience was immediate. He got up early in the morning. He didn't say, okay, I've got one more day to spend with my son, so I'm going to let it last all day long. Nope. He got up early in the morning, and as soon as it was, it was possible, he grabbed his son, got everything ready, and went to, uh, uh, to his journey to go sacrifice Isaac. <clears throat> he didn't just have immediate obedience. He had complete obedience. He took everything he needed. He chopped the wood that was necessary there before they left. He, he made sure he had what was necessary for the fire. He made sure he had the knife. He made sure he had everything that was necessary to go and, uh, and sacrifice his son. But it wasn't just complete obedience. It was unassuming obedience. He didn't say, okay, I've got everything. You know what? Let's take a lamb just in case God changes his mind. Now, I don't know if I heard God right last night, so I'm going to go ahead and take, take a lamb with me. It was unassuming. He did exactly what God wanted, not anything more, not anything less. He did exactly what God wanted him to do and had told him to do. But not only was it immediate, complete, and unassuming obedience, it was obedience despite mental anguish. Listen, he had three days to think about what he was going to be soon doing to his own son. And despite this, he didn't get to the, to the foot of the mountain and go, you know what, let's turn around and go back. He didn't go halfway through the journey and go, I don't think I can do this. Don't you think it was stressful for Abraham? It's his son. God clearly stated, that's the son you love. And Abraham for three days is journeying, going, man, I'm about to build an altar. I'm about to put my son on it. I'm about to absolutely destroy him. But it was faith-filled obedience too. And notice what he says to his son when his son says, when Isaac says, God, uh, Abraham, we've got the knife, we've got the fire, we've got the wood. 
where's the lamb? Didn't you forget something? And Abraham, filled with faith, says, God will provide a sacrifice for him. Not only that, but he tells his two servants, he goes, hey, stay here, and my son and I will return. Abraham was confident. We see in the book of Hebrews that Abraham knew that, that, that God could raise him from the dead and had the faith that Abraham was going to kill him, burn him, and God was going to raise him from the dead. That's the faith that Abraham had. He said, man, this is illogical, but everything leading up to this point has been illogical too, and God's come through. So I guess God will do something illogical again. And he goes, and in faith he obeys. And the rest of the story... You probably know, but just in case, look at verse 11. Right as, as Abraham takes the knife to slay his son, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Just before Abraham slits his son's throat, the angel of the Lord stops him and tells him not to harm Isaac, but instead to look behind him. There's a ram caught by his thorns in a thicket. He said, that's the sacrifice. Sacrifice that in place of your son. It's a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us. We deserve death and hell, and yet God in his limitless grace sent his only begotten son to be killed on a cross as a sacrifice in place for us, that God, uh, Jesus Christ, would shed His perfect blood for our sinful lives. And that's the picture that's there. But like I said, I don't want to focus on the sacrifice, and I don't really want to focus on the fact that Abraham obeyed. I want to focus on why he obeyed this morning. All of that was introduction. And, oh, man. But there's only one point to the message, so that's okay. Look, the why behind Abraham's actions can be summed up in three words. God was enough. God was enough for Abraham. At the end of chapter 21, when Isaac is born, he's in the family, Abraham is satisfied, full. He's like, man, this is the son of the promise. And, and he's fulfilled. You might say, well, yeah, he's fulfilled. He's waited 25 years for that boy. In fact, he's waited all his life. They, they've been trying to have kids, and Sarah just couldn't get pregnant. And, 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 and now, you know, 25 years after God promised Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. It's going to be a nation, uh, and so forth. Abraham finally has a son. How could Abraham not feel fulfilled? How could he not feel satisfied? But you know what? He wasn't satisfied because Isaac was there. What had happened between chapters 15 and chapters 22 is that somewhere along the line, Abraham's focus shifted from what God could get him to God himself. He realized that Isaac was not his great and exceeding reward. He realized that Isaac was a perk, a bonus of his relationship with God. Abraham finally comes to the realization of Genesis 15.1 when God says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Abraham's no longer living for the blessing. He's enjoying the blessings because he's living for the Lord who gives the blessings. And 
I've taught this lesson several times, and I've preached this as a sermon several times, and, 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 I, and I've heard it growing up. I mean, it's one of the first Sunday school lessons that I remember hearing. I remember the little flannel graph images that they put up, and, and I remember all of this. Um, and I always wondered, well, doesn't God know everything? You know, going back to, to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, and it says, And it came to pass that after these things God did tempt Abraham. Why did God have to test Abraham? Didn't God know that Abraham was going to follow through? Didn't God know Abraham's level of commitment already? Since God knows everything, because he does, why did he have to test Abraham? And it wasn't until preparing this, this lesson for the teens last week that it finally hit me. God already knew. But Abraham didn't. I believe in, in his mind, Abraham was like, ah, I'll give everything to God. Everything that I have is, is God's, and I'm satisfied with the Lord. And God said, okay, I'm going to test you. Not for God's sake. God already knew. But so that Abraham would have some practical knowledge of exactly where he stood with God and exactly where his focus was in the Lord. And look, that word, that phrase there that's translated, did tempt. I did a search for it. It's a weird word in, in, in like Nassau or Nassau or something like that in Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. But it means to test and to prove. That word only appears 33 other times in, in, in the Old Testament. Um, and it's always an aggressive test. Kind of a defiant test. And... and uh, 24 times it talks about God testing man or man testing God. And 11 of those times it talks about God testing man. And, and God does prove and God does test and God tempts man to see what man is made of, what those people are made of, to see what their worth is. Not for him to see, but so that those people will see. And in each of those times that it's referenced, every time that man follows through faithful, in, in faithful obedience, God rewards that person. God blesses that person. God strengthens that person. He builds their faith. Why? Because God always keeps his word. But then there's 13 other times that that word is used whenever man aggressively and defiantly tests God to see if God is really going to keep his word. And every time except one, the results are fatal. Every time except one, the people that are testing God die. That's not good odds. The one time that the person doesn't die is Gideon. When God tells Gideon, Gideon, you're going to free the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. And uh, uh, so I'm going, to, I'm going to strengthen you and, and I'm going to use you to absolutely destroy the enemies of Israel. And Gideon goes, okay, God, if this is true, I'll put out this fleece. And you make it wet and the, dry, the, 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 the ground dry. You make the fleece just soaking wet with dew and the ground all around it dry. And then the next morning he goes, you make this fleece dry and the ground all around it wet with dew. And Gideon tests the Lord. It's the same word. And even now that's used as an example as a lack of faith in God's word. And listen... What that tells me is that God in His sovereignty is justified in testing us and allowing us to be tested. Not so that He can be sure of us, but so that we can see ourselves how we truly are. Whether we're faithful or unfaithful. 
Mankind, on the other hand, is not meant to prove God. We're to take Him completely at His word and trust Him wholeheartedly because God is faithful. If God weren't faithful, if there were one passage in this, in this scripture that, that showed that God was not faithful, then there would be no use for us to even have one. There would be no use for us to be here. But God is faithful. 100% of the time, and we can take it to the bank. We can acknowledge with our mouths and in our heads all day, yep, God is faithful, I believe God is enough in my life, but is God really enough for you? God's faithful presence in our lives should be enough that everything else can be sacrificed and we wouldn't lose an ounce of satisfaction. Let me say that again. God's faithful presence in our life should be enough for us to live and be satisfied. That if we were to lose everything and everyone else, we wouldn't lose a single ounce of satisfaction. Abraham got to this point and God said, that son that you love, that you waited for so long, go sacrifice him. Make sure he's absolutely destroyed on that altar. And he does. And he goes. And he's about to follow through with it. And God says, ha, ah, now I know. And really what God was saying is, now you know. Is God enough for me, though? Is God enough for you? This morning, we're not going to ask God to test us. But I am going to challenge you to test yourself. I challenged the teens on Wednesday to test themselves. I was challenged last Sunday to test myself. And the test is this. We, we don't, and, and the why of the test is this. We shouldn't wait for God to test us. We should every once in a while go, hey, you know what, I, I, I need to reflect. I need to see if, if God really is enough for me. And take those opportunities when the Holy Spirit speaks to us to go, Let's try it out. I believe a lot of times we don't test ourselves because deep inside we know the answer. I don't challenge you to test yourself. I don't challenge us to test ourselves. And the test is this, okay? The challenge is this. I want you to think of something that's precious to you, okay? Uh, it may be a thing, a car, a phone, a computer, job, money, whatever. It may be an activity, uh, playing sports, video games, shopping, hanging out with friends, being the best at something to be better than your peers. Maybe you spend extra hours at work. Maybe you spend extra hours uh, developing a talent just so you can be better than other people. There's nothing wrong with trying to be excellent at something. In fact, we should strive for it. Maybe it's going to bed late at night and sleeping in early in, or, or late in the morning. Maybe it's the activity of social media. Whatever. It may be a goal or a dream, relationship goals career advancement, buying that new truck or car, furthering your education. And this is the test. Take something that's precious to you. Whatever it is that God lays on your heart today, take that something and for a week, sacrifice it completely. It'll look different for different things. Uh, you should have seen the faces of some of the teams when I, when I proposed this. I mentioned phones. And there was two, and I'm not going to tell you who they were. They were like, they were like no. <laughs> That's our initial reaction. <laughs> We're not going to do that. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> Look, take something that's precious to you and, and whatever it is that God brings to your heart. You write it down on your Bible, in a paper, something. Write it down. And then put above it 
this is my sacrifice. And sacrifice it for a week. And see what it is. Um, um, I challenge you to sacrifice that thing, that activity, that goal. And sacrifice it completely. Uh, uh, for example, if it's a job, I'm not asking you to quit your job. Okay? Call into work uh, uh, for a week sick. It's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want you to get fired from your job. You have responsibilities. Okay, you've got to keep those responsibilities. What I'm telling you is, is if God says, hey, your job is so precious to you, I want you to use it for me. Then take that job from the moment that you wake up and start getting ready to go to the moment you leave your work and take all of that time and aggressively seek to pursue God's honor and God's pleasure completely in your job. In lunch breaks, in break times, in, in, in your attitude towards your bosses and your coworkers, in your attitude towards people that are under you, aggressively seek God's pleasure in your interactions at your work and to use the time for the Lord. Uh, maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, spending time sleeping in. Get up an hour earlier and spend a whole hour in time with prayer and with the Lord just developing your relationship with Him. That was mine. So, so Sunday, uh, I was very convicted about certain things. And, and there was a time that I had made a commitment to the Lord, I'm going to spend an hour of prayer with you every day. And, and it had been about a year, I guess, ago that, that you know, I had heard somebody in a sermon say, you know, you can spend time in prayer with God. And, and, uh, and, and some people think, oh, you've got to spend a solid hour, a solid two hours. Well, you can spend 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 20 minutes there. And I was like, hey, you know what, that'll be a great way, and I can still sleep in. And then I'll just do 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, etc. And my walk with God just deteriorated. And God pointed it out last week, and he said, that is what you need. And so this week, starting Monday, I started getting up at 5.30 in the morning. I hate getting up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I was faithful at it every day, except one. It became a miserable morning. It was Friday. Uh, Friday, we kept the kids home from school. We we're going to go to the fair. I slept in. Got up finally in the morning. I was like, oh, man. Didn't pray. God, love you. Thank you for this day. Hope to have a great day at the fair. All right, kids, get up. Let's go. And we went. My focus shifted from God to the fair. My focus shifted from something primary to something secondary. It was a blessing. And we got five minutes from the house, and all of us were just mostly because of me. Flipped the U, he went back to the house, and I said, All right. The Holy Spirit, also called Tasha Jones, told me, You need to spend some time in prayer. And I was like, <laughs> So we went back to the house. We got out of the house. All the kids were crying. And I said, yep, we want to go to the fair. But you know what? Y'all go spend some time with God. I need to spend some time with God. And the rest of the day was great. And we sacrificed getting there at the, at the opening of the fair, which is what we wanted to do. And we were there three hours later. But it was so worth it. Because when you take your eyes off of God, nothing satisfies and that corn dog 
wouldn't have satisfied. That turkey leg wouldn't have satisfied. <laughs> and so Saturday, I made sure I spent time with the Lord. Today, I made sure I spent time with the Lord. And I'm not just going to do this for a week. This is going to be one of those things that I'm going to try to do always. And you may find that your sacrifice after a week is like, you know what, this is totally worth it. I'm just going to keep on doing this. Notice I didn't say somebody. I don't want anybody going, saying, well, you know, my wife is precious to me. And Brother Mike said, leave my wife for a week. <laughs> I don't have to worry about my kids for a week. No, no, no. Just take something precious to you. Those should not steal our primary affections either. But listen, what is something precious to you? Is God really enough that you would say, I'll put this off to the side. I spend three hours a day on social media. You know what? I'm going to spend those three hours a day developing my relationship with God and telling other people about Him and discipling my family. I spend this time on this. And listen, I'm asking God for something to give me tomorrow to sacrifice for another week. And I hope to make this a weekly occurrence. And some things I may take back. And some things God may say, hey, you know what? Have that back. But I suspect a lot of the things he's going to say, hey, you just, you just keep on giving those to me.